Hey there, man. I'm so glad that you would join us today in worship. My name is Jacob Armstrong, one of the pastors here at Providence Church, and I have something that I want to say to you today. It goes like this. I believe in God, the Father Almighty, maker of heaven and earth, and in Jesus Christ, his only Son, our Lord, who was conceived by the Holy Spirit, born of the Virgin Mary, suffered under Pontius Pilate, was crucified, dead, and buried. The third day he rose from the dead. He ascended into heaven and sitteth at the right hand of God, the Father Almighty. From thence he shall come to judge the quick and the dead. I believe in the Holy Spirit, the Holy Catholic, the Holy Catholic Church, the communion of saints, the forgiveness of sins, the resurrection of the body, and the life everlasting. Amen. Some of you find those words very familiar. Some of you I know couldn't help but say them along with me. And some of you are wondering, what was that? Well, those are the words from the Apostles' Creed. The Apostles' Creed. They are the core beliefs of Christianity. What for centuries have been the agreed upon things that Christians say being a Christian is all about. They're sort of the, the non-negotiables, if you will. It's, it's us saying, we believe, we agree. I don't know if you've heard, there are many things that Christians disagree about. Oh, you haven't heard? Uh, would you like me to list them for you? <laughs> okay, we disagree on baptism, music, what you should wear, who gets to preach, should we serve a better variety of donuts, bring the sprinkles back? That's just a Providence thing. <laughs> Anyways, I'll stop there before I get to the ones that will really bother you if I say them. Christians don't agree on everything, but we do say we believe in the same things. And I said those things in the, the Apostles' Creed are the non-negotiables, but really they were negotiated. This creed is the most widely accepted statement of Christian belief, but it was negotiated for hundreds of years. Like, what do we really believe? What are we going to put in there? What can we agree on? What can we disagree on? People actually lost their lives fighting over these statements because people did not believe in all of them. And a quick aside, I'm not asking you to believe in all of them in an instant either, but I am inviting you for the next several weeks into a deeper exploration of what does it really mean to say, I believe in Jesus as God's son. And if you're willing to say, my Lord, what does it mean to believe that? Or we might say, do I really believe that? And a question I want us to consider is, what does it mean for us to believe it together? So our church, Providence Church, has been in a study of the book of John for the last 18 weeks. So the book of John in the Bible uh, is, is there in the New Testament. We've just been turning the page every week. What does John have to say? But today we're going to pause for a couple of months to look at this statement, the Apostles' Creed. Why? Well, some of you can already guess because we've said it over and over. The purpose of John's gospel is explained at the end of the, end of the book in John chapter 20, where it says this in verse 31. It says, But these things are written, that you may believe that Jesus is the Messiah, the Son of God, and that by believing you may have life in his name. You heard a lot about belief there. The story of Jesus is written so that we might believe, believe in Jesus. And so you might wonder, well, what are we signing on for when we believe in Jesus? The Apostles' Creed tells us. So this creed expresses the essential biblical doctrines, the ones that have been articulated, defended, and embraced for nearly 2,000 years of church history. So Christians who disagree on all manner of things affirm the Apostles' Creed. 
The creed goes way back so far, it's actually attributed to the actual apostles of Jesus. Now, we're not saying they wrote these words down and gave us this statement, not, not hardly. It's just saying the roots of the Apostles' Creed are in their teachings. A version of this creed, an abbreviated version, is found as far back as the second century. That's way back when you're talking about how close are we going to be to Jesus. It appears the Apostles' Creed to be what many people said in some of the first baptisms as a confession of the convert. They're saying, this is what I believe. It appears in accounts of martyrs who, before they died, said these words. By around the 5th century, the creed was in the form it is today, what I just read. And every denomination coming out of the Protestant Reformation of the 16th century affirms these statements, bar none. It's a really important statement. Now, the Apostles' Creed was put together, written down in this form, as a direct response to heresies of the day. A heresy is simply a belief that goes against the accepted, the accepted beliefs of a religion. So the religion says, we believe this, and a heresy says something different. Now, we don't get too hung up on today if somebody says something different than our beliefs. It happens all the time. We think, okay, fine, they can believe that. But when Christianity was first being formed in its first stages of being passed down, it was very important that everyone was on the same page. So again, Christianity is established now. There's two billion adherents in the world. So even if somebody way high up, let's say like a bishop of the church says, I don't believe in the resurrection, we don't really worry that our whole religion is going to crumble. But back then, in the early stages, the articulation of belief was without question of great importance. So the biggest heresy in the early days of the church was called Gnosticism. It starts with a G, but you don't, you don't say it. So Gnostics said, um, among other things, God didn't really come into the flesh in Jesus. So they were saying Jesus wasn't really God. He was spectacular, but not really God. And they would say, you aren't really saved by believing in Jesus alone. And the early Christians, the one who held what the apostles taught, said, that's heresy. That's not it. And so they knew that they had to be able to say what it is. And the Apostles' Creed became that statement that said, I believe in Jesus Christ, his only son, our Lord because that's what the apostles, like John, said was the way to life. So the creed begins, as we begin this week, begins by saying simply, I believe in God. That is the starting place. I believe in God. Now, the other statements will be way more fun <laughs> to discover their history and biblical context. We're going to look at them in the coming weeks. Things like conceived by the Holy Spirit and born of the Virgin Mary. What? <laughs> you know, judging the dead, resurrection of bodies. This is cool stuff. But it all starts with this, believing in God. You know, I have never convinced anyone to believe in God. I know you're surprised. <laughs> I hoped that I would, but I haven't. Belief doesn't work that way. I remember one of my best friends from high school, he was not a believer in Jesus. And I loved him. I loved this guy. We had such fun together, such friendship. And I remember one night sitting on my front porch, I was in college, and I sat there and I tried to convince him to believe in God. I used everything I knew to do. I gave all the convincing reasons I could think of. And we argued back and forth in a good-natured way. But it went, it went way past an intellectual argument for me because I believed what I was talking about, this belief, leads to life. And I wanted him to know it. But I could not convince him. I could not persuade him. I could not make him believe. It's not how belief works. Belief only happens in the heart 
of the one who believes. A mama can't make it happen. 12 years in Sunday school won't do the trick. Dunking you in water won't do it. There's an element to belief that's beyond convincing. Belief by nature is giving up some ability to be completely persuaded and choosing a, a faith that doesn't require proof. That's what faith is. So when we say, I believe in God, it's the most powerful statement we can ever make. We are saying, I choose to believe that God is God. I actually love that statement, I choose to believe. I heard it some years back. I was still trying to convince people. And we had this man in our church here at Providence, a doctor. He had a very scientific mind, and he was meeting with me to talk about God. Uh, he was not yet a believer. And this guy is brilliant. Every day he worked with things you know you could prove and see and you have to understand. As we talked about our faith at a Chinese restaurant, uh, there I went, I was trying to convince him again. And I could tell by his furrowed brow and his question after question that I was not convincing him. And then one night after one of our long lunches, he called me and he said, hey Jacob, I have chosen to believe. I began to wonder what was it that I said that had got him but after we talked, I realized what he was saying. He was saying his heart was choosing faith, not because of my convincing argument, but because he was answering God's call to his heart to believe, to believe in what he couldn't see, what he couldn't prove. And that is the first statement of the creed. I believe in God, the Father Almighty. Now, there is a work of the Spirit that does all the prep for our beliefs. So I'm not saying that belief is just this intellectual ascent and nothing else. No, nothing could be further from the truth. Faith steps into intellect and will, you know, and what we get to choose, and God does something that leads to belief. It's not a convincing preacher. And when that happens, you know it and you say, I believe. The Bible defines faith as the substance of things hoped for the evidence of things not seen. So a few statements to get us started on this belief journey. The first is this, belief is powerful. Adrian Alonzo is the uncle of Ellie Garcia, a 10-year-old Rob Elementary student in Uvalde, Texas, who was murdered last week. And Adrian, her uncle, said his bond with his niece was their faith. They went to church together. And on national news last week, he volunteered this statement about the gunman. These are his words, not mine. He said, I forgive him. As powerful as that, I forgive him. The reporter was kind of taken aback. She asked, how? It was just a few days after the shooting. And he said, again, I quote, he said, the Bible says in Ephesians 4 that we must forgive one another just as God has forgiven. And so he said, don't mishear me. I'm filled with anger, but not hatred towards this person. What we believe is powerful. For me, it's almost impossible to understand this uncle's words. And we wonder, you know, could I do the same? But, but what I want you to hear is that his belief for him is not just a statement. It's not an intellectual place. It informs and impacts all his actions. And that leads me to my next statement. What we believe informs what we do. What we believe informs all that we do. You know, that's why the church gets together and says what it believes. It's not so we can say we're right and you're wrong, but it's so we can be reminded of the truth and the truth that informs how we live our lives. This summer, we're gonna look at how if we believe God made the heaven and the earth, that will inform some things we do. 
If we believe that Jesus will come and judge the living and the dead, we'll look at what that means, we'll see how that impacts our lives. If we believe in the resurrection of the body, we live differently. So it's not my goal really to get some old words in your head so you can memorize some doctrine, but if we grow in knowledge of what it truly means to believe in Jesus, we will live into what John calls life in his name. In other words, our belief gives us our identity and our identity affects how we live. I'm a Christian. I believe in God the Father Almighty. I believe in Jesus Christ, his only Son, my Lord. I believe he rose from the grave. I believe in the Holy Spirit. I believe in the church, like Adrian Alonzo would say, that I took my niece to. And yes, I believe in the forgiveness of sins. That's how I can forgive you, because I believe in the resurrection of the body. Belief is steadying. It steadies us. Belief is what keeps us uh, secure and steady when everything else goes crazy. And your life will go crazy sometimes. But it will be your belief that keeps you rooted, connected, steady. We would say the Apostles' Creed in my home church growing up every Sunday. And that's how I can say it by memory now, just because it bounced around in my brain all those years. I heard the voices of those around me saying it week after week after week. And my parents brought me there week after week after week. And the people there loved me week after week. And they corrected me and they encouraged me and they helped me week after week. You see, those words of belief in the church steady me today. And I just want to say, like, if you don't believe right now or you're in a place of struggling to believe some things, you're in good company. That, that, it's all good. What I'm, what I'm trying to say is that when you come alongside with others, a steadiness comes to your life, even if you don't have it all figured out yet. We never really do. What I'm saying is belief is unifying. It, it brings people together. It's why I really didn't read a long list of the things Christians disagree on to start this. We talk about things we disagree on sometimes, but to read that list would divert us from what we're talking about here. Division is sort of the name of the game right now. It's real easy. But our beliefs and the love that comes out of that holds us together. Belief doesn't keep us from disagreement, but it does keep us from division. The Apostles' Creed is all about shared belief. We live, you live, not in an age of shared belief. And so I think this is important to understand. We don't live in a time where everyone shares the same beliefs. We live in a time of what uh, might be called self-discovery. You figure it out for yourself. Meaning, uh, you know, your truth is not passed down to you from your beloved community anymore. What we're encouraged to do in this culture is encouraged to find what? Our own truth, my truth, your truth. Well, the church says and has for centuries gently, no, no. We've got some things we've been working out for a long time. You don't have to work them out on your own. And in fact, you should not work them out on your own. No one really goes and finds their own truth. That's a misconception of what truth is. Truth is shared. Truth is accounted for in community. It's actually confirmed by a group of people. Individual truth and isolated beliefs lead to tragic consequences. I can't put it any more plainly. When one believes that they can do what they want to do outside of any confirmation from a community, that holds, uh, you know, a community holds God and God's truth central. When that happens, uh, we see things like the Uvalde, Texas shooting and the Buffalo, New York shootings. Uh, that's how important this is. We are each invited into discovery in our life. It's a beautiful thing, but it's not all about me. It's about God. The Apostles' Creed has the word I in it two times. <laughs> meaning it's really not all about me. Central is our belief in God. 
and how that belief is encouraged, nurtured, given space to question and doubt in the community of other people who believe. Listen to this scripture. This is from Acts chapter 2. It says, When the day of Pentecost came, they were all together in one place. And then suddenly a sound like the blowing of a violent wind came from heaven and filled the whole house where they were sitting. They saw what seemed to be tongues of fire that separated and came to rest on each of them. And all of them were filled with the Holy Spirit and began to speak in other tongues as the Spirit enabled them. This scripture uh, describes the birth of the church, a day called Pentecost. And actually today, this Sunday, Pentecost is being celebrated all over the world, the day the church was born. And you see what happened that day, I know it's kind of a strange story, when the people who already believed experienced unity in the Spirit, then one person, Peter, stood up and shared that Jesus was the Son of God, and that He was crucified, and that He died, and that He was buried. And Peter shared that he was risen from the grave. And Peter invited people. He didn't convince them, but he invited people to believe that Jesus was Lord. And that day, 3,000 people believed. Shared belief led to actions that spread life in Jesus' name all over the world. The birthday of the church, of these collective beliefs. Last week, Pastor Gary, one of our pastors here, he shared with me a video of John and Hygieia. They're Methodist pastors in Indonesia. Here they are. They're like family with Gary and his wife, Gwen. And if you can see, they're wearing Take Heart Providence t-shirts, Providence Church t-shirts we gave out this year. They have a connected life and belief with us in Jesus on the other side of the world. This next picture is a gathering of people in Cape Cod, Massachusetts. Now, we didn't even know about these folks until last week uh, when Krista, shout out to Krista if you're watching, sent us this picture and she called it a Satellite Providence Church. These folks began gathering in their home during pandemic, inviting family members, inviting animals, <laughs> inviting the kids every week because of our shared belief and life in Jesus and figuring it out together. Last Sunday, I received uh, before worship an email from a teacher in Seattle. She worships with us every Sunday online. If you remember last Sunday, it was right after the events of the shooting in Texas, and she shared with me about her heart and how she was feeling that day. And our worship team here before we took the stage uh, prayed for her and her school in Seattle, a connection because of our belief in Jesus and our love for each other. This next picture is in Nicaragua. Uh, Pastor Regina and I received an email last week from Nicaragua and in it we learned of a 34-year-old woman who said she and her family have washed clothes on stones in creeks and rivers far from their home for generations. She also shared how they had to bathe there out in front of other people. And she said, thanks to our connection and the clean water projects that Providence Church has been a part of, she celebrated this picture that you see of the washing station, a place of dignity and privacy in their community. This next one is the picture of a school in Haiti. Um, this is a school that you guys have, have heard a lot about. It was started by one of our church members, the Grace and Glory School, started by Tana Clark. It's now overseen by another one of our church members who's the executive director of that organization. His name's Jay. Uh, you've heard us talking about we're looking for sponsors for all 300 of these children. And this, this school, you know, was built by somebody who had a dream here in our church. And now it's overseen by another one. And it was built and funded by you. Why, you know? Why all these connections? Why this shared feeling? Well... If you want to, I invite you to say these words with me, and in it is found the why. 
I believe in God, the Father Almighty, maker of heaven and earth, and in Jesus Christ, his only Son, our Lord, who was conceived by the Holy Spirit, born of the Virgin Mary, suffered under Pontius Pilate, was crucified, dead, and buried. The third day he rose from the dead. He ascended into heaven and sitteth at the right hand of God the Father Almighty. From thence he shall come to judge the quick and the dead. I believe in the Holy Spirit, the Holy Catholic Church, the communion of saints, the forgiveness of sins, the resurrection of the body, and the life everlasting. Amen. Belief, it's a powerful thing. And I invite you this summer to join us as we discover what God is calling us to believe in Him, in His Son, Jesus. Amen.